everyone. Welcome to the Mogabar Show. As always, my name is Gabe. With me, I have a special guest, Fru. Fru is a technologist, entrepreneur, author, and overall a good human being from Minneapolis by way of a small little West a village in West Africa. Um, Fru, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Thank you for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. No, no, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Um, you've got an interesting story because you immigrated to the United States. I, I think it was 15 years ago. You told me or 20 years ago. I don't. I don't recall. About uh, 15 years ago. <clears throat> That's excellent. And of all the places, you you moved to Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Why there? We were just talking about this a little bit before the start. Um, That's really cold there in the winters. Um, but the summers are good. The lakes are starting to freeze over now. Why Minneapolis? You're coming from a, a town in, in Africa where it, I'm assuming it was not as cold as Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't as cold as Minneapolis. And just to give some context, uh, so Cameroon in, in, in West Africa, there we have basically two weathers, right? There is the rainy season and the dry season. That's straightforward. <laughs> in the rainy season, it rains. In the dry season, there's just sun and it's hot and dry, right? So. Uh, living there uh, and then coming here about 15 years ago was a change, as you can imagine, here in Minnesota, not from just having two seasons, now to having four, right? The spring, the summer, the fall, and uh, winter, and so having to deal with that was a, was a, was, was a change, but uh, you, you kind of sure. get used to it. Um, why Minnesota? It's always a, it's a fascinating question. Um, I wish I had a more... Uh, a more interesting answer than the answer I'm going to share uh, with your audience here. Uh, my uncle, I had an uncle who came to the U.S. before. Uh, and so he, I, I think he was in Canada and then uh, immigrated to the U.S., uh, came down to the U.S. And of course, if you know where Minnesota is on the map, it's really close, the border with, with Canada. So he came, uh, lived in Minneapolis, he was here. So when I was thinking about coming to the U.S., it, there were many places I could have gone to. New York, I know you, you talked about being close to that area, uh, Texas or California, but I wanted proximity to family. And so I just ended up in, in, um, in Minnesota. And it was kind of interesting because during my interview coming here, one of the questions that I was asked was, are you really sure you're going, you want to go to Minnesota during the interview? I was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I can handle it. So that was just kind of a funny experience for, for me, but I'm loving it. It's a great place. Uh, great folks, Minnesota's um, are known for being nice. Um, when the summer comes, it's uh, beautiful. The lakes, the outdoors, the trails, um, you, you can't get any better than that. I think that's why I've stuck here for as long as I have. Excellent, excellent. Now let's let's talk about your career. You you come, you know, you, you move to the U.S. What was the experience like for you, Omni One? You are working in probably one of the most competitive fields um, where, you know, technology, basically every, you know, there's a technology startup nowadays, every few days, there's a new company making, you know, buzzwords and technology, you come and you've been in the tech field now for quite some time, you've become, you know, a leader in the tech field, you've become a coach, a mentor to so many people, you have your own, you know, website, your own, you know, coaching and advising that you do on the side, what attracted you to technology? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, um, I can talk about what attracted me to technology and what that journey has been like. And then I'm going to talk about my uh, sure. today, which is really data uh, and, and technology as a whole. Um, I, I remember the young uh, fruit back in, in Cameroon in Africa. 
um, at the time, and we're talking about uh, late 90s here, early 2000s, just being fascinated with technology. We didn't really have the kind of, you know, technology, you know, there's technology here in the US and then, you know, mm -hmm. Back then, would catch up five, ten years back, right? So um, the internet was just coming up at the time, and I remember my uncle, or oh, well, my dad, would always leave the house, and he would say he's going to send a mail to my uncle, who that's the uncle that was out here in the US. And so at home, you know, we'd write up a letter, sit down. My dad would make us write the letter that he wants on a piece of paper, and then he would take that paper from where we live, you know, close to the village. And he'll go to town for the day. And then he comes back and says, oh, I've sent the letter to your uncle. And I, I couldn't understand what he meant by he's taking this piece of paper. He went with it to town. He brought back the piece of paper and he tells us he sent that letter to my uncle. And then two or three days after, he will go back to town. He's going to bring back this printed piece of paper. That's the response. And he will show us. Well, this is the response your uncle your uncle sent us back. I will sit there. I will read the mail. And I'm gonna, I was sitting. I, I couldn't figure out how... This letter, he takes it and it goes that quick and then comes back to us with a response, right? Fast forward, me understanding about what an email uh, was, uh, the internet, and it was just this whole new field for me about technology. So technology to me is like magic. It just fascinates me. Uh, and I can remember vividly wondering and I couldn't sleep about how you can take this letter and send it. And basically what my dad did was he would take it, go to town and somebody would type it up send an email to my uncle um and that's what they used to do there people would you know you pay and somebody can send an email for you and then you come back and you pay and then they'll check the response and give it to you because people just didn't have computers so you had to go pay as a service for the one yeah. person who had computers in town to do it so that just fascinated me and i knew that i wanted to understand this this technology thing whatever it was and so I, um, I, you know, over the summer, I took some, some classes that were available back there, learning about Microsoft or DOS and command line. And even some of my classes, we literally didn't even have a computer to learn that out. We would draw a computer on the board and name the parts, right? They'll say, oh, this is a mouse. This is a keyboard. This is a, a monitor because there is yeah. no mouse to look at, right? And this was, that, that was how I, I kind of really got at this, but I never gave up. And it just because of the curiosity and how it behaves like magic to me, I just said I wanted yeah. to understand that. So when I came to the U.S., it was natural that uh, working in computers, uh, working in technology was something I was going to um, that I was going to do. That's that's pretty that's pretty impressive, actually. And that shows the determination because a lot of people don't have that creativity. I think, you know, being born and raised in the U.S., we've become spoiled to an extent because we've come to expect that. Although I didn't like when I was you know, going to school in the 80s, we didn't have computers in schools, but we knew what computers were. You know, there was one computer in the library that, you know, the best behaving class and the best performing class got to go to the library like once a month to go see and use. So, but you guys had it where it's like you're drawing it out on the blackboard and you're like, that's the computer that you're using. So that's pretty exactly. impressive. And that that's what sort of pulled you in. Um, that's, that's awesome. What was the transition like? Because, okay, you're coming, you know, from Cameroon, you don't have the access to technology and you're for the most part self-taught. Now you're coming to the U S where you may potentially have more opportunities, but sometimes depending on your experience, it is a little bit harder to get into because it's a weird thing. It's like, you know, yes, we'll give you opportunities but do you have the experience but how do you get the experience if you haven't had an opportunity so you have it right it's a famous uh, cash 22 there you go um 
that you need experience to uh, have a job, but you need a job to uh, to have experience. And I, I think that is something that's not just limited to uh, folks like my, my, myself or my story. I, I think almost everybody in the career, wherever, you know, whatever career you are, faces that at some point in time. Uh, for me, uh, when I came here, I did study computer science. Of course, I studied uh, mathematics. So I really got into the field. And one of the things I believe is that, you know, just be good, build competency. If you are good at what you do, um, it's very hard to ignore you. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, my mission was just to be the best, uh, most knowledgeable person uh, I am in, in my craft. And uh, with that, it's uh, led to uh, me being able to have an internship, uh, me being able to, to get my first job. Actually, the first job that I had was just basically being uh, a tester. I was helping a, a, a bank here. A very, it's a national bank. Uh, a very big bank, but um, uh, very early on, I was, you know, just basically doing software testing. And at home, at night, I would always think, um, always thinking, if there was something new happening out there, I want to understand. So even though my job had nothing to do with this, I was understanding how to script, how to uh, work with Python and, and all of that. So at the job, it so happened that we had an engineer on the group, uh, a developer, uh, we had a tester. I was a tester. I was basically just testing the code, making sure the software was working. And we had a, a, a program manager and then the director and, and just that team that was was working. One day I came in and the manager uh, told us that the developer that we had, he was uh, Indian, he was from India, uh, wasn't coming anymore. And asked what was the issue? He said uh, he had some issues with Visa and so he couldn't, he couldn't work. And now we didn't have a developer to work on this project we, we had been working on. Um, and this guy was just kind of distraught, right? Kind of shocked. And how do we hire a person? It takes you know weeks and weeks to put out a, a job offer out there before you get somebody, train them. Um, and the project was just at risk. So it so happened that I, I kind of figured out that, but we need to still get these files, right? We had some files we needed to get out. So I, I went back uh, home that, that night, uh, just wrote out this, this script, implemented what the, that guy was doing, came back, clicked the button. Uh, we had some, a bunch of files that we had sitting on the desktop. We wanted to get that into, at the time it was access, right? And today you can't really use access databases anymore. Uh, anymore. So I wrote that script, came back, clicked the button, and it ran. Right there on the spot, the guy was like, Fru, you did this? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, this is something that I do on the side. It, it wasn't my job, but I've always done yeah. it. Not because... You know, I felt that I want to get a job with it, but just because it was something that interests me to figure those kind of things out. Mm-hmm. Right there on the spot, he, he said, you know, you want to be the developer and take his role? I was, you know, scratching my head. It's like, well, I, I don't know, right? And this is where you get into that, uh, uh, that I, I forget what it is, where you kind of doubt yourself, right? Yeah. You kind of feel like... Absolutely. You second not, guess yourself and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. So I almost felt like that, but I, I took the job and then the rest was history, right? Um did that and then from there it's you know just keep progressing and almost every trajectory in my career has been something like that where the opportunity comes and you are right for the opportunity and you you grab it and i think that's how it always uh, progresses. I, I i love that because it, it shows it shows the courage to take on something that's sort of out not not necessarily out of your wheelhouse or out of your comfort zone but something that you don't have experience in, you're not proven in, but you're willing to take the chance to prove yourself. And I, I, I kind of love that because it's, you know, it's resiliency. It's the ability to just sort of overcome 
what's in front of you because while you've been doing it on the side, you didn't have that necessarily all that experience behind you for the people to believe in you, but they took a chance on you and you, you know, made them proud of it. You, you, it was like, so that's pretty impressive. That's pretty good, man. I, that's kudos to you. Um, so it's what, what led you to want to be, you know, a mentor, coach and advisor, because you do a lot of speaking, you've written books, um, you know, you're published on Amazon, um, what led you to want to share your experience and your knowledge with the, you know, with the world basically, and just go out there. Cause a lot of people, you know, you're still young. Um, you're a lot of people want to I don't know how long that would last, but <laughs> I know it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't last long. We, we get a little bit older all the time, but you know, a lot of people want to keep working, getting better, you know, patting their backs, you know, doing for themselves, but you want to give back. What brought this on? What made you want to say, you know what, I need to give back to um, others? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about what I currently do today, because I think it's also sure. fascinating with data and, and AI and all that stuff. But um, but the giving back uh, to me is just, is just to me, it's a responsibility. Um, I get um, in my circles, I get a lot of people who... Um, Everybody wants has goals and ambitions, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I tend to see uh, folks were reaching out to me a lot in terms of uh, how do I get into technology? How do I build a career in this? Um, and some of the folks were folks that uh, speak with a strong accent, like I do, uh, mm-hmm. that have the stories similar to mine, and and maybe didn't have the network and and the, and the connectivity in the industry to to make that a reality. Uh, because for me personally, uh, I typically don't uh, draw too much on that or hang on too much to that. But uh, I didn't have a lot of mentors, like trying to be a technologist. I, you know, everybody at the time was thinking about, oh, you should, you know, do maybe nursing or, or something else. Uh, but that just wasn't my predisposition. That wasn't something I was really good at. I just knew I prefer understanding code or understanding some technology. So that was kind of what I knew that regardless of what anybody around me thinks, uh, I was going to do what I wanted to do. Uh, but what that meant was I didn't have a lot of mentors. There weren't a lot of people, at least at the time, that had uh, experience in the field. So I was kind of going at it by myself. But the way I solved that was attending conferences, meetups. There was almost every single meetup uh, that there was in, in here in Minneapolis I was a part of. You go there, you're going to see my face. Right. So that led me to build my own tribe, to build my own community. And uh, I spoke to folks. I had mentors, managers, uh, bosses that were just tremendous mentors to me. And so what I'm doing now is giving back. There are people, again, in my shoes with my accent that, uh, you know, it's hard to explain how somebody understands, learns about computer by looking at at the blackboard. But if somebody has that experience, I can mentor them. I can say, hey, you can do it. It's okay, right? And and be able to coach them. So that's what I, I try to do. And then what happened was I kept getting questions over and over. So the same questions, right? That I'll answer. Hey, Fru, can you help me with this? Or Fru, can you review my resume? Or Fru, what's your take on this? Right. And that's at the personal level. So what I ended up doing was I just took those uh, those nuggets, uh, uh, put them together into a into a book, and say, okay, now if you're gonna ask me that question, just make sure you read the book, which in the one of the books here is. 
and I'm holding it on, this, on the screen if you are listening to this, your game plan for a lucrative career in data analytics, uh, where I just prescribe what you need to do, resources you need to use, the steps you need to follow. It's kind of like a map, right? And so this has been helpful to lots and lots of people. Every single day I get reviews, I get emails, hey, through, thank you, that was very helpful. And I, to me, that's ultimately um, meaning uh, for, for what I do. And I really just enjoy that. That's great. Now, let's kind of segue there because you held up the book, The Game Plan for uh, Data Analytics. Let's talk about the data analytics and what you're currently doing because you're doing a lot. So let's let's talk about that for a second. What what are you currently into? I, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about your employer. That's up to you. But like, what are you currently doing with data and AI and how how are you sort of shift not shifting your focus but how are you basically implementing that into your strategy for helping people and you know your everyday life basically absolutely yeah i, I can talk about the industry as a whole what i do uh, today i call myself a technologist and this, that's the reason why right technology is huge there could be security there could be hardware there could be so many things that make up technologies uh so i but i consider myself a technologist because i take all of those pieces and help companies uh, solve the most pressing issue we have today, which is uh, the issue of, or the opportunity we have today, which is the opportunity of data. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, if there's, there was a saying that um, knowledge is power, right? And a lot of people will subscribe to that. Well, where does knowledge come from? Knowledge comes from information. Where does information come from? Information comes from data. So if you take that by corollary, uh, more data equals to more power. And so we, we're having this gold rush of companies realizing the value of data and they are positioning themselves to take advantage of that. And so what I basically do is help companies understand the value of data, regardless of the industry, and then also help them with the approaches to take advantage of that. So uh, we can go across the board for industries. Think about uh, retail. Today we're hearing about the supply chain issues and the strategies. Well, part of the solution for that lies in data. If you have more data around the containers where they are uh, in the different ports and the different logistics, you can solve for that in the end of, or at, at the end for, for consumption. So having more data can solve that, that, that problem. If you go to healthcare, we're seeing personalized medicine, we're seeing uh, drug discovery happening because companies can get more data. So if you go to your doctor and you have a, you know, unfortunately you have a a type of cancer and somebody else has the same type of cancer, there still might be differences at the DNA level where one prescription or one a drug might work for you or not the other person, right? So having all that types of data helps with more personalized medicine. And so we're seeing that being a really huge piece, right? Talking about education, with hearing about even personalized curriculums, uh, personalized education, is there a reason why every kid in the classroom should be listening to the same lecture? Or can we target that lecture down to the specific concept, right? Maybe you understand algebra and I don't understand algebra and I understand more of uh, differential equations. I should be getting more focus on explaining differential equations and you know, you getting your focus on algebra versus this you know, shotgun approach of just you know, throwing out uh, lectures to students without necessarily understanding them. So taking advantage of data in there uh, has a lot of opportunities. Go to politics, there is a massive, and this is um, something that you know many people are, are getting to reckon with this. Back in 2006, I believe, or eight, that election, uh, Barack Obama was known to have a team of data scientists that help him basically make, make, uh, send out his message, 
target the right counties, the right folks, and he was able to win that 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 campaign. Then we have like the Cambridge Analytica, which was kind of related to uh to to politics, but not so good, right? Because it didn't meet governance and and privacy and and all of that. So we're seeing this 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 whole paradigm shift, this revolution that's happening. And every single company, every single vertical, every single individual is being affected by it. And so that's where I'm standing at this, this, this massive revolution and really trying to be the conduit that communicates this to organizations. Um, and not just tell them that you got to do something about data, but then helping them with the tools and the technologies and the mindset to go out and to take advantage of that. My, the company I work for, Snowflake, has an amazing platform uh, for helping companies collect data, store data, analyze data. And that's basically what I spend my entire day doing, just telling that story and, and helping companies down that journey. Okay, so, you know, I want to go back and, and touch on something that you, because data is very powerful, you know. You talked about, you know, somebody potentially, if I have the same cancer as someone else and potentially being able to review the information and the data and, you know, come up with a proper analysis or, or a treatment plan, potentially, all these, all these different things. Um, and, and also, you know, it, with the politics, the Cambridge Analytica, but, you know, the, the one thing that is obviously very much in the news these days is, you know, the privacy concerns with so much access to data. How is that being addressed? How do how are companies and people as a whole, citizens, civilians, sure that they're being, you know, protected? There's this book by Jillian York called Silicon Values um, that it basically touches on what's apparently, you know, a lack of ethics and morality in a lot of, you know, technology companies in Silicon Valley and wherever they're based at these days. How is that being, because, you know, you touched on the governance aspect of it, but how do people know? Because there's no way to really know. It's still sort of a leap of faith with data and analytics where you're just trusting that the privacy is in place, the security is in place to protect that information. Um, You know, what's, because I imagine that that's sort of a hard selling point when you and your role, you're talking to, you know, leaders, companies, you know, potential users that are looking to invest or not invest, but, you know, dive deeper into this world of data, you know, they want, they don't want to be caught up in the the maelstrom of, Hey, you know, privacy, 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 you know, no, we're not violating anyone's privacy. So what do you, like, how do you address those concerns? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good point. Right. Because um, what we're seeing is there is this whole push for analytics, but then governance and privacy and security is, is a must. Right. So now what we're seeing is this push for privacy first analytics. So you have to think about privacy first. It cannot be an afterthought. It has to be built into the solutions and the product that you build. Um, and it's starting not just at the, the back end, which is the analytics, but also right at the front end. So from the phones we use that collects devices, right? The cars we're driving, uh, sorry, the phone we use collects data. The car we're driving is collecting data. And so we're seeing this innovation happening around uh, companies. And some of it will be legislation. And some of it will just be consensus around the industry for goodwill. Because if you don't do this, the whole industry could be in trouble, right? So there's going to be legislation like CCPA here in, in, uh, in uh, California. Uh, there's a GDPR out in, uh, in the EU. And... Um, lots of these regulations are coming. Almost uh, the different companies uh, and blogs are, have, are creating all these regulations that companies are going to have to respond to. So um, 
that's on the regulation side, that's on the politics side. But on the company side, we're seeing things like differential privacy, which uh, Apple pushed uh, where on the phones, where you're using your phone is collecting all that uh, data, can it anonymize the data before it sends it to a company. So you still get to use it for analytical value, but the data is anonymized to the point that I can look at this data to say, all right, this is true, or this is smart, right? So um, there is the technology side of it, but there's also the, the politics side and the cultural side to say, hey, let's make sure we're using data the right way. Uh, and then the folks that don't use it the right way, they get punished, right? Because if there is no consequences, there can't be accountability. Accountability comes with consequences. So uh, all of this is going to have to come to play uh, for us to really see the push in, in, in privacy. And just to add, privacy is such a, an interesting concept because you might say that, okay, don't use Facebook if you want to stay private or don't use so-and-so uh, -so tool if mm -hmm. you don't want to share your information and want to stay private. But here's what's interesting, right? Your non-participation still generates data that could be used to for against your will if you if, if you so say so all right so take for example the 98% uh, of of individuals here in the United States can be identified uniquely by zip code uh birthday and gender alone so if if you, if you can get zip code gender and birthday you can pretty much identify somebody if you really want to right because how many uh males are born on this date and, and at this gender that lives in, in uh, a small city, let's say Plymouth, not a lot. You can pretty much narrow down that field. So uh, just using technology alone uh, or, or saying that I'm not going to opt into this is not sufficient. Another example I love to give is assume that there is a, a, a game that's happening in town. Let's say a football game, the Minnesota Vikings are playing. I choose not to go to that game. Because, well, I don't want the, the cameras that are there or the surveillance there to pick up my, my face. I want to stay private. But guess what? My non-participation, if somebody is looking and analyzing that data and says, hey, who are the people that did not come to this game, right? Now, they can run some analysis to discover that, well, I'm a person that doesn't like to go to games. And so if I don't like to go to games, maybe I stay home and I watch TV. And if I stay home and watch TV, so maybe more ads should go to me. Right. So even if I choose not to participate in that, I'm still getting um, uh, getting targeted, getting impacted by this. And so it's it's such a, a, a it's a wicked problem. But that's why technology is going to help. But legislation too is also going to be required to make sure that, you know, uh, there is accountability for companies who even decide to say, hey, we're just going to use corner means to still get at you to make sure that if I really don't want to get something, don't send it to me or don't make me participate in it. That's interesting. I, I <clears throat> excuse me. I never um, looked at it that way because it was, just, yeah, I'm like, yeah, if I don't want to use Facebook, I'm not going to use Facebook. And, but yeah, my not using it is also, okay. That's, that's, I, yeah. I never looked at it that way. So that's interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's something that um, folks don't think about, but there are PhD students out there and, and really smart people whose job is to, make you uh be a part of the system right so um and and so legislation somehow should hopefully help and maybe goodwill and culture would also help um and mm -hmm. so um i want to because since we're talking about you know being a part of the system goodwill legislation 
random question, not really related to this, but was Edward Snowden foolish for revealing stuff that for the most part people already knew and basically he's stuck in Russia now? Was like, was he just a fool for doing that? <laughs> one of the things I've uh, learned in my days is not to talk about what I have no idea about. And politics is one of those things that I really don't know. Um, so, no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. That, that, that goes back to just the long conversation that I've had with friends over this same debate privacy. And it's like, yeah, every, like we all know what's happening. We use Google all the time. I use yeah. Google Maps. You know, we're on a Zoom call. It's like everything, you know, everything that people says you, you don't do. I'm like, we do it in some capacity where they're using Google Maps to drive. So, yes, they're getting that information somehow. And so, OK. Yeah. Um, and I, I can also talk about something that is uh, because we talk about, you know, this innovation that's all happening It's happening at different levels. And I, I just always like to call that out where there is innovation happening at the software level where we're seeing uh, new applications that are coming out to help with not just AI, but privacy as well. So a new machine learning model. So we're talking about like XGBoost is a very popular algorithm. Uh, there is um uh, deep neural networks, which is pushing a lot of advances as well. And so that's also requiring um, uh, you know, understanding of being able to explain AI. So for example, if I interact with a company and they use a machine learning model behind the scenes to either give me credit or to not give me credit, can they explain why that decision was made, right? You can't just say, well, we made this decision because the algorithm told us to make this decision, right? Now you gotta explain why did the algorithm, what choices, what decision points, what data informed this algorithm to choose to give me credit or not, right? Because now you can start seeing us talking about biases, talking about um, the choices that the algorithm gets to make because algorithm is based on data. What data represent comes from reality. Well, if you don't have the right data, you're gonna make the wrong, build the wrong models. And those wrong models is going to affect people in the real world. And so there is a push for, for privacy, not just on the data side of things, what we collect and how we store that, but also in the models that we build, uh, you will hear this push of explainable AI. You've got to explain what your AI is doing and have the lineage about it and make sure your data set is complete and as diverse as the problem as you're trying to solve. Because garbage in from a data perspective, garbage out with the model, and it's going to affect real people. Okay. Um, so with data, you know, AI and everything, what, how is this going to impact the future of what's to come in terms of usability? Are we seeing a, a situation where people are now going to start pulling back in terms of technology? Because I, I feel like Pandora's gate has already been opened in terms of what we do. You know, everyone has a smartphone. Um, I don't know the age, you know, you, you've got a four week old. I don't know if you're going to wait until she's, you know, three months old or, or he's three months old before you give a, a phone. Um, but it's like, what's the, do the parents have an obligation, you know, just cut off and be like, well, no, we're going to wait. You're not going to get an iPad until you're a teenager or whatever the situation is, because we all have smartphones, we all have data. Now, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is coming out with the metaverse. I don't know what that is. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't understand the thing about that. Um, but where, 
how does data, because we have more data, you know, Facebook has just recently been in the news because of the whistleblower, Francis Haugen, and, you know, showing that they have, they had the data, but they didn't act on it. That, you know, Instagram and Facebook was having negative impacts on children's lives and, and people's lives in general, but specifically children, but they didn't act on the data. So data just sitting there, not being analyzed or not being acted on is essentially useless data in a way, because you're not doing anything with that data or you're choosing to not do anything. What's like, does the government really need to get involved and say, okay, enough is enough. Stop. This is it done. You know, and you know, what, what's the breaking point for data for tech as a whole? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I wish I had the Holy Grail answer, which I think I don't, but I do have a, a perspective on, on, on this. So, and, and that perspective comes from the understanding of what's happening. Almost, and there's a saying in the industry that 90% of the world's data in existence today was created in the last two years, right? So that means that if you just look at the wave, that it's going to be um, to bet against that, that it's going to be on, on the losing side. By betting against, meaning to say, hey, I'm just going to not be a part of this, so I'm just going to run away and try not to give any data and just you know stay in the cave somewhere. It's not going to, for the most part, it's probably not going to happen, right? So we're still going to have to live in this world where, um, and to me, I actually, there are aspects of it that I enjoy, right? Uh, more data, more sensors. Um, you can have IoT devices in the house monitoring the temperature, I, I recently installed just, it's not a, anything complex, but just a, 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 a sensor device on my garage that I can monitor from my phone and open my garage up and open my garage from wherever I am in the world and I can check if it's open or closed. That's data, that's information. And now if I'm somewhere, I'm not worried if the garage door is open or not. So there is a, a lot of opportunities for, uh, for, for data. And sometimes we maybe might miss that opportunity if we get cynical and and, and uh, stifle innovation um, by, by drumming too much alarms about the potential for data. So it's gonna be a balancing act where we want the innovation to happen. We want the companies to innovate and to innovate, it takes data. You're not gonna, um, like the company that has the IoT device that opens up my garage, well, they need that data to tell me if my garage is open or not. So there's no way to really get around that. But now, how do they secure it? How do they use it so it's ethical? So it's a balancing act. That's why I said I don't have a silver uh, bullet here. But I, I'm on the side that um, I'm not going to bet against data. I'm not going to try to live in a cave. Um, but uh, there's going to be a very important aspect of data literacy, right? We used to have um, uh, just basic literacy where you can read and write. Uh, and if you had to go to school and you would consider literate, you, you had to be able to read your ABC and you had to be able to take a book like this and be able to read the pages. And that was basic literacy. And so now we're coming into that point where we need uh, not just technical literacy, but specific data literacy, where people understand what is data, how is data being collected? Um, just simple things like your participation or non-participation still gives information and educating people about that so um, you know they can make informed decisions and they can you know live accordingly so like for my for my son i'm definitely gonna as a parent 
my goal is to limit that until he has the control to then want to make his own decision. But then to give him the literacy to understand that, you know, if you're using this Google Maps and you're doing all of this stuff, it's being collected. And if that's what you want, go for it. If that's not what you want, make sure that you don't post that picture on Instagram if you don't have to be posting it. There are people who post the pictures because of maybe it's a business or they get something out of it. But if you do it from an informed perspective, it's okay. What the challenge is, if people do it not knowing, or if Facebook is collecting my data with me not knowing, if Cambridge, uh, Cambridge Analytica is sending me something without me knowing, but if I know and I consent to it, I think a lot of people can stomach that. It gets really challenging if they don't know and they don't consent to it. And it, it's a problem. So that literacy is going to be, be very, very key. You know, just to you know, pass it back to you here, but you know, one of the biggest things too is uh, on the data side is just understanding basic statistics. You know, uh, I, I remember my growing up, my dad would used to say, you know, numbers don't lie. Like if you look at something and it says four, then it's four. Like math is the most pure subject there is. But what I've realized that beyond just your basic algebra, which we all can agree, the biggest source of lie is numbers, is statistics. And companies are using this with impunity, right? Where you can be watching a TV show or you can be looking at the news and somebody will give you statistics of, oh, 5% of so-and-so are doing this or of teenagers are buying this device. Well, is it really 5% of all teenagers or 5% of the three teenagers that you, you looked at that are doing this? So they can use numbers, like I said, with impunity to lie, to convince, to deceive for propaganda and having data literacy, which also includes basic statistics, arithmetic and number literacy is gonna be very key as we go into this next generation. I don't think it's gonna be about stopping companies for having data, but it's gonna be about having a more informed a uh, 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 group of citizens that knows what's going on and and they can uh, make their own choices. Uh, as, as Basically, yeah. So it comes down to what we're always told, inform yourself so that you can make the best decision possible. Um, do your research. And if you don't know, ask someone who knows a lot more than you do, like you do. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, I, I'm always going to, now I'm going to reach out to you all the time. And if I have a question, you know that, right? <laughs> So, um, Fru, I want to thank you for your time. Um, before I let you go, though, where can people, I'm going to put everything in the show notes, but where can people reach out to you if they just want to talk to you, have questions, you know, want to be mentored by you? Where can people reach you? Hey, thanks for, for that opportunity. Really appreciate that. Uh, I uh, love to be very active on, uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn would be a natural place to reach out to me. Uh, I have a Twitter as well. Uh, Debbie is uh, my um, my blog that I use, uh, that I put content on, talking about AI, big data, machine learning, uh, ethics, governance, and, and all the nine years. So everything about data and, and what it means for, for companies that I get to talk to every single day, for, uh, for the different leaders that are going to make decisions about how we collect, restore, and manage data. I, I talk about all of that on, on the blog. I talk about, you know, the AI revolution coming up with like GPT-3, which is a generalized pre-trained model coming from open AI with uh, lots of promise there. Um, I talk about uh, neural networks. I talk about XGBoost. So everything in between, you can find that on my, on my blog. Uh, and also a YouTube channel that I have, uh, not as uh, popular as this one, but uh, you can check it out. It's also called Tech With Fru. 
um, basically the anything I know, if I can share it, I uh, make a video and I share it there. And then last but not least, also the book is out, um, you know, game plan for success and analytics. I believe in having maps. I believe in having game plans. Uh, I believe that, you know, you got to know what you're trying to do. And and so this book was basically just giving that game plan. So if you or anybody's uh, looking for a game plan, uh, this could be an option to consider to uh, on Amazon um, right now. So lots of places uh, you can find me around uh, on the web. Excellent. Fruit, thank you so much for your time. I don't want to take any more of your time. I know how busy you are, but I appreciate you so much for joining me and I wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you so much. I give all the best to you.